0: Daniel chapter 4 this morning. Now, you know, about two and a half years ago, I did a series on Daniel. And I figured once I did Advent like this, that it was eventually going to happen, that I'd have to preach maybe some of the same texts as we go book by book. Last week was Ezekiel. Uh, This week is Daniel. So primarily, we'll be in Daniel chapter 4, verses 26 to 37. I've entitled the message, Stumps and Goats. Um, You no doubt have noticed the stump out here on our property. If you haven't, take notice of it. It's one of my favorite things about our, our physical plant. There's a stump right out here just cut flat. And in that stump, I think it's a black cherry that's growing. And I think it's a different kind of tree than the stump. The stump's rotting and this little tree is in the middle of it. And I, I, I need to tell our, our maintenance guys to not cut it down. I've gone out there when it was dry, and I'm out there watering it. And I'm sure people are driving by are like, that guy's crazy. What is he doing watering that dead stump? But for me, it's such a glorious reminder. Oh, my word. It's such a glorious picture of what our God does. And it fits in with this text. So we're, uh, we're uh, looking at, at Daniel chapter 4. The theme of Advent this week is peace. Um, let me give you just a quick rundown of the context of Daniel, um, Daniel speaks to the exiles. Uh, uh, the last king of Judah uh, and and them taken away to Babylon happens about five eighty six B C. Daniel, and his friends were some of the elite, some of the educated, and they were brought in uh, into Babylon uh, and and taught, given all kinds of of um, education. Um, It's a great story, and what we talked about two years ago is how wonderful it is for these godly young men to live in a culture that that overran them. And just this idea that that some of our best, brightest, most godly kids could be ripped from us and and taken to a country that is brutal and serves other gods, And yet our God is with them. And it's an amazing story of the faithfulness of God. Uh, So the first chapter, uh, Daniel is rescued from defilement. And it closes in the first chapter. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. So that's chapter 1. They get taken away. Uh, they don't want to defile themselves by eating food that was a, that was sacrificed to idols uh, because in that culture, it's really similar to what we do at communion. In that culture, if they ate that food that was sacrificed to idols, they were, in effect, telling everybody around them that they believed that what these animals. Animals were sacrificed for it would, would have favor upon them. And so they had to stay away from that, and they ate uh, vegetables and fruit. Sounds horrible. Um, but uh, it's an interesting thing as we talk about wisdom, and we'll see that come out in the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life. That for some reason it baffled all of them that these were the wisest men in the whole kingdom. Chapter 2. Uh, God gives Daniel a dream and its meaning. It's a, it's a dream of a great big statue, and, a, uh, and it was made of different makeup. Gold all the way down to the feet were clay. Uh, and a big stone is cut out of a mountain, and the stone rolls and takes out the statue. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, you're that statue. That's you. You're the gold head. And, and this stone is God's kingdom, and it's going to destroy you. Um, and... and It's interesting in that in that chapter the threat was if you don't tell me what my dream is, um, then you're going to be torn limb from limb. Your house is going to be laid in ruins. That's kind of the situation that Daniel operated under. It's hard for us to compare Nebuchadnezzar to anyone. Um, An unbelievable amount of power Um, as as a king, the, the the greatest. Uh, man uh, living at that time, he wanted to be the greatest. He wasn't satisfied with all that he had won, and and so even after hearing that that dream from Daniel in chapter three, he builds a ninety foot statue of himself, a big big statue. And all his inhabitants are to worship and to bow at that statue. It's interesting, he makes something so big about himself. I can't remember where we were this last summer when we were traveling. Somewhere in Italy, there was this giant statue. And the, the tour guide tells us, see that statue? Uh, that's celebrating this, this, this general. This general won no victories. But he has a big statue <laughs> and then later on there was a tiny statue like this this person here has won most of the victories small statue lots of victories you know and I, you know i was thinking big hat no cattle <laughs> All <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's make this big thing about ourselves. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar does. Uh, I, I, I need people to remember me. I want something permanent. Um, and so he, he builds that. Now, when we come to chapter four, it's the end of Nebuchadnezzar's story. It's the close of his story. So a, as he fits into uh, human history, uh, you can't help but just think about the other great kings um, so that, that preceded him. In Exodus, we read about Pharaoh, the 13th century. Uh, Ten plagues God gave Pharaoh. And over and over, he's like, they will know. I will defeat the gods of Egypt, and they will know that I I am the only God. Ten plagues come. Moses tells him they're going to come. They come the way he says they're going to come. He crossed the Red Sea and he still hardens his heart. And eventually, as as punishment, the Lord hardens his heart even more. So we have Pharaoh, this wonderful picture for us of someone who had great control, great power, and yet didn't humble himself. Have Solomon in the 10th century B.C. Ecclesiastes, uh, whether it's, Solomon writing here in Ecclesiastes, or if it's pseudepigraphal, it it, it is, in a sense, what he represented. In chapter 2, I became great. I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, And the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. If you want to get depressed, read Ecclesiastes and then don't read chapter 12. Everything is futile. Vanity of vanities, the poet says over and over again. Vanity of vanities, all vanity. But he ends in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. And he says, this is the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So you have these pictures of people that have gone before. We could also talk about David, this exalting of themselves, the humbling of God, exalting of themselves. And so we come, uh, it's about 560 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, Nebuchadnezzar writes this in his own hands. So um, uh, chapter 4, I'm just going to read these first three verses. To set up context, this is King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is him writing King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. What an interesting address. Everywhere that I have dominion, where we have ruled, and all the different languages. Peace be multiplied to you. He is going to share his personal testimony, and it is designed to give peace to all that inhabit his kingdom. It seemed good to me, he says, to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. You see why now we use Psalm 145 in our liturgy. It, it, It would appear that he is borrowing the words of David in his own prayers. Peace be multiplied to you, and this is what God has done for me. He goes on to talk about this other dream that he had, and it was a dream of a great tree. And Daniel tells him, this great tree, it is you, O king. And it's cut down, but a stump is left. Um, and so we're going to jump to verse 26. And that'll be our reading for this morning. So please stand for the reading of God's word. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven Rules. That's important. There's going to be a stump left. Uh, Daniel tells him the tree is going to be cut down, but but there will be a stump left. Verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months... He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my might, my mighty power as a royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken." He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Stumps and goats. Well, I'm sure everybody knows what I mean when I say goat. Greatest of all time. Uh, it's become popular maybe in the last five years. I remember the first time I heard it, I'm like, what's a goat? And, and now um, it, it, it's just in the vernacular of people and their arguments, the greatest of all time. Is it Jordan? Is it Kobe? Uh, there's arguing about Kevin Durant. Um, everyone knows the goat was probably John Elway, right? I mean, that's, no. Uh, uh, for some, it's not even good enough to be better or good Or even the greatest in your generation. We've taken it even one step further, haven't we? The greatest of all time. So I love it when these arguments happen, especially it's kind of amongst sports heroes, right? You say, well, so-and-so did this. You know, Will Chamberlain scored 100 points in a game. And then the person, well, yeah, but he was playing against old people. You know, like so. So he couldn't be as good as you know. He, he would he wouldn't do that today, right? And and maybe not. But it's an interesting phenomenon that, that 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 there seems to be among certain people, it's not enough to be okay. It's not enough to be average. You got to strive to be the greatest of all times. And if you are the greatest of all times, uh, then you'll find some sense of meaning, purpose. Uh, and maybe eternal life. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I got news for you folks. Most of us are average. Most of us are average. Uh, I told you this about the orthopedic surgeons I used to work with. One of them took me aside one day and said, hey, Mark, it's important you know this, that the average orthopedic surgeon is an average orthopedic servant. Don't you tell them that because they don't believe it. They don't think it. But the average orthopedic surgeon is an average orthopedic surgeon. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is driven by this, isn't he? It is, it is an amazing picture. He is, he, it's not enough for him even to build a beautiful palace. It's not enough for him uh, to win wars and rule kingdoms. It, it, it is something that it's so elusive to him that he's like, I, I've got to build a statue. People have to know. And there's this sense of restlessness above him when he tells his wise men, if you don't tell me the meaning of this, I will rip you limb from limb and your homes will be flattened and your families will be killed. I am so important. Now, it's great because we have an extreme example and and it serves us well. But there is a bit of Nebuchadnezzar in all of us. There is. There is this sense that I, I, I want to be ruling. I want to have control. I want to be, maybe you want to be the goat. Um, our, our story with the Lord. Anyone who calls himself a Christian, the story with the Lord is a story of humility. Uh, and, and maybe it was external humility that brought you to him. Uh, for me, um, hu- humility has been elusive, I grew up as a Christian. And, and, and probably the greatest temptation for me growing up as a Christian is I was the best kid in my class. I, re- I really was. I was the best kid in my class. And, and there was this sense that it just kind of crept in that, that God is going to receive me because I'm really, really good. I make Him look great. And so the humbling for, for me... Of course, it still continues. It's a never-ending path. Here, it is uh, a person with sound mind. It's a person who is humble. But sanctification, us becoming more and more like Christ, only takes place. It is only nurtured and fed and grows in humility. Right? Every Christian should know this. You, you grow in your faith by being humble, by saying, Lord, you know me. Your word is wiser than me. Uh, teach me. Show me. I am here to be taught. I'm here to be disciplined. I am here to be changed because I am not good enough as I am. I am not right as I am. You must work in me. In the sermon, the sentence this morning is that we make peace with God, or making peace with God is the only sure way to live in complete peace, making peace with God. And here, making peace with God is giving him his rightful place. Now, it's not as if we can take it away. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is sovereign over all creation. His divine oracles will take place. But it's us assenting to it. It's us humbling ourselves purposely to it and saying, Your way, Father. You must become greater, I must become less. So I want to work through this text, looking at these three sections. The first is this gracious warning, and I call this the false goats. Um, then we'll look at the real goat, goat's gifts. I don't feel comfortable calling God goat, okay? because goat is a sign of the lost but you understand what we're saying. The greatest of all times. He gives him a warning, yet another warning. And that's a beautiful thing about our God. To Nebuchadnezzar, he graciously brings these wise men in. Uh, Their wisdom surpasses what they could have learned in Babylon or from their family. Their wisdom, and as he says, uh, you have the wisdom, you have the learning of the holy God. It's with them, it's with you. Uh, and so he would call on them. And, and they had a, contis- uh, a, a consistent message. Don't put your faith or your hope in anything else, O Nebuchadnezzar. God alone is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so they give him this gracious warning in verse 26. Uh, There's going to be a stump left. Now, a stump is better than being ground down and unrecognizable. Now, any of you who live on Patricia Island, I don't know if the rest of, of Grove is this way, but basically our house is built on a pile of rocks. It's a pile of rocks, and over thousands of years, enough dust has settled so it looks smooth, but it's a daggum pile of rocks. I want to take out this persimmon tree, because I don't pay for anything. I want to take out this persimmon tree. Its trunk was only about this big. I'm like, I- I'm going to take it down to the ground, because I don't like having to weed eat around it. I don't want all those shoots coming up. Oh my word. It's rough. If you ever try to take out a stump, it's rough. He 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 says, it's gonna be left there, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, God is not gonna wipe you out like you have said you would wipe us out. God's gonna leave a stump. So there's something about a stump, isn't it? When I look out there, there was a tree there. It used to be a big tree there. I'm not sure what kind of tree it was. It was definitely cut down before we even started renting this place, but it's still there. There's a stump. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, when all this happens, when, you're, when you as the tree are going to be cut down, God's going to leave a stump. People will be able to see. It bears witness to something that was there, something that was impressive, strong, something that gave life and shade and support. It was prominent and visible. Uh, trees were a sign of God's blessing, especially in the ancient Near East. In Isaiah, the children of God are to be called oaks of righteousness. He writes in chapter uh, chapter 61, verse 3, they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. I was listening to the podcast, The World and Everything in It, and they were talking about how in, in some of these desert communities, um, they really struggle with, with, with trees. And um, this, this family moved in and decided, let's, let's start harvesting trees like we would other crops. Let's not, let's not cut it down. Let's take parts of the tree. And what they found is all those roots that were in there, when you didn't kill the tree, it grew wood much faster. Maybe you've seen that. That's exactly what happened with my persimmon tree. We cut it down and all the roots started spreading around all over, all over the yard. Why? Because there's still so much life there. Leave the stump. Um, it's a gracious warning. Your kingdom can only stand under and in submission to God's kingdom. Leave the stump there until you realize that heaven rules. But it's also a conditional prophecy. In verse 27, what does he say? Take my counsel Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities. So when God gives out his warning and his prophecies, uh, it is not to rub our face in it. You realize it was a one, one year after this that it all happened. One year after this, God patiently said, Chew on it, Nebuchadnezzar. Think about it, Nebuchadnezzar. Turn from your wickedness. And when you turn from your wickedness and when you turn to serve the living God, yes, everything externally should change. What does he say? Quit sinning, practice righteousness, uh, show mercy to the oppressed. That's his gracious warning. Well, a year later it fails, doesn't it? Um, The real goat is revealed in verses 28 to 35. Now, I love it how there's two contradicting voices. All right, there's two. I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar says this, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my might and my power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Uh, The tongue, the ego make these great boasts. He speaks it out loud. And you know who hears it? God Almighty hears it. And there's another voice. I I I I love the way that it's put out there. This king boasts arrogantly, and at that moment, God speaks from heaven. And it says in verse 31, While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king, to you it is spoken. And he talks about what will happen to him in verse thirty-three. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't that the power of our God's word? He doesn't make false boasts or claims. When he speaks, it is so. When he says, "You are mine," I have purchased you. You belong to me. You belong to me. You are mine. It happens. It's not a vain hope. it has the power to make it happen. And that's exactly what happened. Nebuchadnezzar is boasting by his mouth about how great he is, and the voice of the Lord comes down, and it happens to him immediately. You know what happens to Nebuchadnezzar? He, he spends seven years uh, with his mind is gone. He is, uh, he is living in he's, he's homeless. Uh, his hair, it says, it grows and it looks like birds' feathers. He's got dreadlocks, right? His knee, his his nails, they they grow like birds' claws. So for seven years, he's given into insanity. What an amazing story! God reveals Himself, and in verse thirty-four, at the end of these seven years, we pick it up in verse thirty-four to thirty-five. There is a return to sanity, or there is actually, sanity is achieved. It says in verse 34, at the end of the day, so, uh, so eight years have prog- progressed, okay? Daniel gave him an interpretation of the dream. A year later, this happened, and then for seven years, he was <laughs> out there scavenging like a wild animal. At the end of the day, as I lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and I honored Him who lives forever. Uh, there's this return to sanity, and these three things happen. It says He lifts His eyes to heaven. His eyes aren't focused on this beautiful gold statue. His eyes aren't focused as He looks over Babylon, as He looks at His palace, and all the things He's accomplished. It says He looks to heaven and says, My, my gaze has been too small too earthly, too man-centered. Sanity comes to a human being. They look to heaven. Their worship, their direction, and their purpose. And he says, and then reason returns to me. Understanding returns to me. And as it returns, worship is the sure sign of sound reason. Worship is the sign of sound reason. We get into trouble when we worship anything other than the living God. When anything else occupies that place, we get into trouble. The sound reason, the sound mind says, oh, all this belongs to God. And thirdly, there is peace. There's peace because he rests in this. He says, God lives forever, his kingdom endures forever, Um, and, and he rules the world. So when he starts in verse 3 by saying, Peace, it is something he has achieved as God has returned his mind. Um, What about us? When things go against our desires, our designs, can we stop and ask God, Has there been something that has taken your place? I'm anxious. Have I forgotten that you are God? Then the Lord gives him this gift in verse 36 take a few minutes here on verse 36 and 37 at the same time he says my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom my majesty and splendor returned to me my counselors and my lords sought me and i was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me our god does great things through people when he is given first place reason returned His kingdom was established. I thought about this. I think, what better king to rule than one who has been humbled, one who has been homeless and insane for seven years? What better person to rule? Greatness then is given to him, but it's in proper placement. Everything that is good and exalted points to God. Now, Christians, sometimes we have a hard time figuring this out. People thank you for something, or they say you're good at something. And if you're like me, like, oh, I don't want to get proud. You know, oh, it's nothing. You know, we'll put it aside. It's nothing. Oh, no, I'm not good at it. We'll push it off. But but truly, God gives gifts to his people. And when we notice it, we praise the Lord for it. We're thankful for it. That's what happens here. 37 um, The stump. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what I, I want you to do. Where it says Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to put your name there. I want you to ask yourself, is this, is this a statement of your faith? Now, I almost was going to say, I state your name, but then I remember it was one of those police academy movies, wasn't it? Where it's like, everybody repeat after me, I state your name, and everybody goes, I state your name. right? <laughs> Put your name there. I, Mark Kuiper, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. For all His works are right, His ways are just, and those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. And Jesus Himself humbles Himself. Jesus takes on flesh and purposefully humbles himself. He takes the mockings, the beatings, and the curses, but he also takes the righteous anger of God the Father. He takes it on our behalf that we might see this humble king coming to us riding on a donkey those who walk in pride he is able to humble now I shared this with you before but there is this sense and maybe it's just in my heart but there is this sense that one of my greatest fears in life is that Jesus is all I'll ever have and it's interesting I I walk through my home and I look at pictures of my family and I think of our church and I, and I ask myself, Lord, would I, would I still worship you if all this was gone? Do I only worship you because I know you've given me this, this, and this? And I think, Lord, I, I, how, help me humble myself <laughs> because I don't want that heavy hand. Keep me close to your side. But he works in humility. He works in our brokenness. It's then when we are in our right mind. We've lost hope of anything else saving us. Our eyes look to the heavens. And we praise, we extol, and we honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you grant us peace. We ask that you, O Jesus, the Prince of Peace. What a beautiful title that you have. You are royalty, a prince. You are the son of the King of Kings, and you bring peace. What a glorious peace you have offered to us, your children, by your shed blood and your resurrection we can be at peace with you O god our heavenly father we can claim that our sins have been paid for even our sins of pride arrogance the secret longings we have the fantasies of self-esteem whereby other people would build a great 90-foot statue of us sing praises to our name, we, we repent of those things and we see, Father, that it's so foolish and we pray you would open our eyes to that. But we would be able to put our name right where Nebuchadnezzar's name is. We now honor you. For What king is like you, O oh God? What king loves his people and loves righteousness and justice? What king is like you, O oh God, That in mercy and grace would send his only begotten Son to face the wrath and anger our sins deserve, our rebellion deserves, our anarchy deserves, to wash and to cleanse us, we might be fit to receive. Now, Father, we pray that you would set aside these elements, that this bread would remind us that the body of Christ has achieved. No man or woman or child could ever achieve. The body of Christ lived in perfect submission and sinlessness, has achieved an eternal weight of glory given to us by faith. That the blood of Christ cleanses and washes us of all our pride and our rebellion against you. May we take it and receive it. May we experience a peace that is deep and lasting and not dependent upon our circumstances. We ask this in Jesus' name.